HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Dye Green. I'm Max Sussman. And I'm Kate McCabe. We're really excited to kick off the second season of our podcast. And we are a little bit late in starting because, drumroll, we had a baby eight weeks ago. Yay. So uh, her name is Vivienne, and she is doing a guest appearance uh, later in the show. You'll hear some very adorable crying in the background. But don't let it distract you from our special guest. So we're really happy to be kicking off this season with none other than Kwanji Chan. And after talking to him on our podcast, we only have one question. Is there really anything that he can't do? The Dublin-based chef and cookbook author owns two restaurants, a food truck, a retail sauce company, and regularly appears on TV. Kwanji was born in Hong Kong and moved to Donegal when he was eight years old, and he grew up cooking in his uncle's Chinese takeaway. As an adult, he chose a culinary education over art school and went on to work in a number of Michelin-starred restaurants before going out on his own. Kwanji's first book, Walk, came out last year and is the first Irish-Chinese cookbook to be published in Ireland. It was really awesome to talk about Kwanji and to speak about his career trajectory, what Chinese food in Ireland is like, white people cooking Asian food, and, of course, the future of the food industry in the face of a variety of challenges that it's facing today. So without further ado, here's our interview with Kwanji Chan. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, we're happy to have you on the show. Um, I'm just in my production unit here in Dublin. So uh, this is where I produce uh, my black garlic uh, and the sauces and the spices, you know. So um, it's part of the company with the restaurants that we have in the retail side. That's awesome. We were going to ask you about that. So it's great that you would just jump right into it. But can you tell us a little bit about the sauce company and how that started and, you know, the products you're making and uh, what the reception has been and what the market's like? Yeah, so um, I started um, a retail sauce company. We started off in sauces about uh, 2015, and it was a hot sauce that I started with just after me coming out of uh, my kind of professional career, chefing, you know, from Mission Stars. And and um, I said, right, I want to create a sauce, <laughs> and I want to sell it. And uh, I created, a, I think it was like 30 bottles at the start. And it was, it's like a more of a miso kind of spicy hot sauce, like a goji jan kind of base. So um, we fired it into the local uh, supermarkets and um, <laughs> and uh, got done our own labeling and all that and test it and, you know, begged the manager to take it in. And eventually he did <laughs> after after me hounding them for five days, you know, <laughs> he says, right, we put it up the shelf. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I sold um I think I sold, um, I think maybe six bottles in the first month or something like that. 
or even 13, I can't remember. It was under 20 anyway. <laughs> so um, that's that's the start of it. But now, five years in, um, I have um, about maybe 10, maybe 10 products. Um, I'm after doing a rebrand, so I'm kind of shrinked down again. But we did have uh, 10 products, mostly focus on um, black garlic. So I ferment our own black garlic now. Um, we're probably one of the biggest suppliers in the black garlic in the country at the moment to food service, restaurants, bar, and also retail. We make a chili oil out of it as well and sauces. So uh, we want to focus on that. And yeah, so that's what we do. We were in about 850 stores because we did hit the the big massive supermarkets, the retailers, you know, like Aldi and Lidl. I'd, you probably don't have that over there, but they're all over. Um, between the two of them and um, the rest of them, probably 850 stores that were in the last um, couple of years. And now after rebrand, I'm just kind of shrink down to kind of refine just a couple of niche kind of suppliers, you know. So, yeah. When you started off, were you thinking that you'd be making sauces for retail or for restaurants? And um, how did that whole thing evolve? Um, no, it's, when I... I didn't really actually think um, it would go this far, you know what I mean? Like, so just wanted to make a sauce and put it right there and test because uh, <laughs> see how it goes, you know? And then uh, all the problems came along and you, you solve all these problems and you just, and then people asked for more and just got bigger and bigger. And we entered a couple of um, um, big massive supermarket kind of like enterprise kind of products kind of deal. So it was um, with little, it was like with the uh, Kickstarter so basically they take products in and they pick like from all the suppliers. I think it was like 500 and something like we won that. So I won that contract for a year uh, with the spice back seasoning I developed. So basically it's like a, it's like a hot and chili kind of seasoning that we do um, with chicken here. It's very popular. It's a spice bag, you know, um, chicken. So I made a spice for that. Uh, we won the contract for a year and we end up staying well a little for about five years. So uh, that was a great contract, and and then we won a, a grow program with the other supermarket with with uh, Aldi, and we got a chili Ryu in there for a year, you know. So that kind of all took off, and you know, and um, that's how it kind of started. But uh, it's not easy; retail is tough. <laughs> so I wanted to take a few steps back and talk about your initial time in Ireland. You moved to Ireland when you were eight years old from Hong Kong. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your introduction to Irish food. Um, did you have any expectations about that before you came over? Or do you have any specific memories of your initial eating experiences in Donegal? Yeah, so basically I, I was born in Hong Kong and I, um, I came over here to Ireland when I was eight. My uncle had a Chinese restaurant here. Basically, I was sent over here to um, <laughs> because my mother and father had a bad divorce and they couldn't take care of me anymore. My father was supposed to look after me, but he ended up sending me to his brother over here in Donegal in the Chinese restaurants. When I landed here, I didn't have a word of English. So I was uh, learning English. I was going to I was going to second primary school, wasn't it? Yeah, primary school. And um, I was helping out the restaurant like a, like any normal immigrant family does, you know. So you live upstairs and you work on, work on the takeaway downstairs, you know. I'm sure it's the same over in um, in the States, like, you know. So, But that, that was great. I learned a lot. I learned how to fry rice and, you know, put on rice and wash, um, peel the prawns and all that. So just basic stuff at the start. And I ended up um, basically running the, the takeaway when I was 13, you know, so I learned how to do all the dishes and do the walk and all that there. So basically I was running the kitchen side of it. And um, yeah, so yeah, but I when I first came over, I didn't really, um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, I suppose. <laughs> I think uh, my biggest memory was a uh, lasagna, chips and coleslaw. I think that was uh, <laughs> the nicest thing I ever had. It was from, from a little cafe around the corner that I went down. And I think back then it was only like, a, I had five punts, you know, like a note. That was like an old Irish, um, you know, currency. And uh, I think it was five punts that you can get like um, a lasagna chips and a, a can of Coke, like, you know. So <laughs> that was a, that was like kind of my day out around the corner. 
So that that was uh, my childhood, and I worked all the time in the takeaway, and that was it. And I didn't even know that uh, I just kind of interested in the cooking, you know, and just went further. Then studied, um, yeah, got a college somewhere else later. Was there a moment that you knew that you wanted to pursue cooking? Obviously, it was something that's kind of was in your background, but more as just something that you did with, you know, as work with your family. But was there a moment where you were like, oh, this is actually something that I can do for me? Yeah, because um, I think um, there wasn't really anything else to do that I know of, you know, because <laughs> I wasn't great at school and uh, I wasn't um, I wasn't good at anything. I was good at art. I know I was very creative, you know, so um, and I wanted to put the creativity. I was obviously um, went into the cooking, but it didn't really kind of fit the profile because I can do the Asian cooking and all that, but it's not very creative as in if you kind of look at the the French gastronomy, you know, on the plates, like, you know, it's like art, you know what I mean? It's, it's a bit different than Asian cooking because it's wok cooking. It's a lot different, you know? So I fell into, um, when I heard that there was a, I, I was like doing my leaving cert and I was like, which is, <laughs> and I was, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I did get accepted honors arts um, in, in uh, Derry or somewhere else. And I decided to go cooking because like, um, I heard the last minute that uh, you can train as a chef. <laughs> I didn't even know you can, uh, you can study as a chef or you can certify it as a chef. So I ended up in uh, Kelly Beggs in Donegal doing my three years, um, diploma. So, yeah. So how'd you end up, uh, launching your restaurants from that point? What was that process like for you? Was it a natural journey or was there, was it a rocky journey? Was there a long, were you, always certain that that's how you would go or how that, what was that like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the restaurant center came after I studied, um, culinary arts and Kelly Bay's and I done my degree later on. So over in that space of time, there was six years, you know? So, um, when I was in college, I kind of got into the, I was selected for the local, um, there was these culinary competitions that the, the schools did. And you go all over the country, you know, and um, say Dublin, Cork and Belfast and Galway and it's like divided up. And and uh, I was quite good at uh, the competitions. So I got selected for the Irish team when I was quite young, um, when I was just finishing the college, you know. And uh, we traveled abroad with that team there, which is the panel of chefs. And we done a lot of uh, competitions and I went to London and I won the Junior Grand Prix when I was like 20 over there it's called hotel olympia um big massive huge competition and um it was like a five-day competition so i was quite good at that and uh, um i ended up in i think winning a, a silver medal in the culinary olympics for cooking so i went on then and um decided that i want to learn kind of hotel so i was kind of done fine dining and i worked in a few mission star restaurants and as you know and i learned my way and but i wanted to learn um mass production how the bigger hotels do you know volume like you know what i mean because um in my way of thinking what back then was like if you have a restaurant i just don't want to go find dining i want to learn across the board about catering you know um i want to learn everything so i learned uh worked in a lot the one of the biggest hotels for a while in city west and learn mass production how they got um served like 200 2,500 people out in 45 minutes, you know, so um, see the production line and, you know, the SOPs and what way to do it. And, and then after that, I worked for um, um, a contract catering company as a development chef for the fine dining area of it. So basically it's going around to law firms and uh, banking, you know, feeding the executives, creating menus and doing private dining there for a while. So the corporate side is a, it's a, it's a minefield, but um, I think it was a great learning on it. You know, how to deal with the, how to deal with the clients, you know, and um, probably speak that kind of language, uh, you know, in the banking, you know, it's just uh, learn how to do that because it's quite um, a lot of paperwork and a lot of emails over and back, you know, so that was quite corporate. And um, I didn't really like that part of it, but uh, it's nice to see it, you know, but uh, it's funny because now that I'm in my own business, it's all kind of coming back to that, you know? So when I'm looking back, like all the way through my career, it's like, I've learned all these different skills to do my own business now, you know, in a way that um, it's kind of running better, you know? 
if I, I say I say if I ha, if I hadn't done what I did, like working the hotels, working the contract catering, and I probably wouldn't be able to run my own business as good as it is today. You know, so I think it's valuable. Yeah, it's valuable for um for a chef to kind of learn all the trade for the hotel. Yeah, I think a lot of people like go into they just a lot of chefs spend their whole life you know cooking in different restaurants and then all of a sudden they're like now i'm ready to open my own restaurant and then they realize they don't know half of it or even more than half of what there is to actually running the business so do you think you you so you're saying you got a lot of that sort of experience from the varied types of jobs that you had that weren't just necessarily uh, focusing on yeah. only culinary technique absolutely yeah so it's not just uh like i was um I think the last serious job in the chefing wise before I went to all that was um, I went back to, you know, do, I was a head chef in a Mission Star restaurant for uh, four and a half years in the Cliff House Hotel and under a Dutch Mission Star chef, you know, so basically I was running the kitchen from, and, um, you know, we, we got four A rosettes and uh, we uh, achieved a lot there, you know, in four years. And then I went up back in Dublin and uh, opened this new concept and uh, more like an Asian kind of tapas kind of bar disco concept. I wanted to open kind of like a, like a nightclub with a tapas kind of Asian style, you know, which is quite popular at the time because I was looking over London, I was looking over Hong Kong and this kind of style. But I still think that uh, it was called Soda & Co. It was quite early at this time. But, um, you know, that was back in 2015. So I think Dublin wasn't kind of ready for that. So it went quite well for the first year and, and decided this is not what I want to do, you know? So, and then I went out on my own then really. So that's how it kind of all started. I have a question about your style of cooking. The very first time that I ate at a Chinese takeaway in Ireland was in Belfast and someone that I was with ordered fried rice with gravy on top, (laughs) which is something that you certainly wouldn't find at a Chinese restaurant in the U S really anywhere. And I, I noticed when the cookbook that you published with Blasta books walk came out, um, a lot of the news articles said it was the first Irish Chinese cookbook to be published in Ireland. And so I, I was just curious, is there something particular about the this type of food that you make that distinguishes it from Chinese food? Is there something particularly Irish other than, you know, the produce and ingredients that you use that differentiates your food from, you know, maybe somebody else's yeah. who's not Irish? So, um, yeah, so my style, when I went into um, my first restaurant, it was actually called Bowls. And I traveled to Hong Kong quite a lot because I worked with um, the Irish food board a lot, Board Bia. And I'd done a lot with the consulate in uh, Hong Kong promoting Irish beef. And I used to travel over back three or four times a year, um, just doing um, activations for different types of uh, companies. And when I was over there... um, I just, um, Hong Kong is quite of a melting pot anyway, because uh, of the English uh, colonized uh, influence. So it's not like, it's more of a fusion, really, if you really want to think about it. Um, and I kind of brought that back over into Ireland. And my first restaurant was uh, called Bowls. And um, it's kind of like a, a version of a cha-cha tang, which is kind of like a, it's like a cart noodle kind of place. You can really kind of go in, pick a bowl, and there's you know you pick a rice noodles or whatever, and then you pick all your toppings, your meat, and then your toppings. But uh, all my vegetables were fermented, fresh kind of avocado, and you know we use a load of fresh, nice kind of produce every day, you know, and that kind of went okay. But uh, I think it was um, that kind of hit in the COVID, and that kind of didn't work because. My food is not kind of Chinese. I grew up in a Chinese takeaway, but my food is not takeaway food. It's more of a fusion Irish uh, mixed in together. So when COVID hit, um, I decided, right, okay, we need to get a food truck. Okay. So, and um, from the food truck, I says, right, we need to create some kind of street food, kind of easy to eat. So one hander or you know, something that you can grab your hands and eat, you know, because it's all going to be a takeaway and coming from a food truck. So I bought this 20-foot food truck and um, it took about three months to clean up. <laughs> it was really bad. And then uh, we spent quite a bit of money on it and brought it out, got it wrapped and all. And 
So we have like a created like a spice bag kind of bow. So if you think like a, a char seal bow, which is a bow with a char seal in the middle of it, is quite popular in the dim sum kind of world. So we have this green kind of um, bow, which is the hargal bow, which is like a, a clamshell kind of bow, which um, we um, we put a spice bag kind of salt and chili chicken in it. We've done kind of like Asian style tacos. We don't like Korean chili burgers. So we don't a lot of uh, that kind of, you know, bits and pieces. And we're big into dumplings as well, like a Szechuan style kind of dumplings. So we do that kind of fusion stuff because I want to kind of stay away that, um, you know, that not all um, Chinese is meant to be like gravy and rice, you know. So I think that's kind of like an 80s kind of version of um, a Chinese takeaway. So... Yeah, so it's nice to see a, a change into how you kind of Asian food has evolved since my time in the late 80s or to now, like, you know what I mean? And with the book Walk that we brought out, it was all kind of like the classics that I wanted to put in there because, like, um, it's all the sweet and sour and, you know, the, the food that I really loved when I was a, when I was a child and that I can cook. And also some of the dishes that I kind of traveled to Hong Kong and taste the flavors. And they came back and kind of incorporated that flavors and the Irish ingredients and that, you know. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, what you just mentioned about the evolution of the food since the 80s? I, I'm really curious about what that path has taken. And, like, you know, I'm really interested in how that has sort of mirrored, like, maybe cultural changes in Ireland, too. Like, has the food changed because of other um Changes that are also happening. What's your take on that? Um, my take on um, okay, so basically, um, since the eighties when I came, um, it was all Chinese takeaways, and the t- Chinese takeaways we do like um curry beef and sari beef and black bean sauce. I'm sure it's the same across the world, you know, um, different versions of it. So you pretty have, similar, exactly, yeah. So um, I think it was a a model that was made up by an American Chinese chef. And it kind of eventually rolled out to all the immigrants to say, look, you can actually make a living with this, you know what I mean? So this is the kind of menu you do, and this is what you do. And it was kind of like a recipe for success, you know what I mean? And everybody kind of followed that. But as generations grow along, um, especially for me, I'm not sure if I'm the second generation or the first generation. No, I'm the second generation. So second generation Chinese normally be pushing to okay, you're going to go and study law or you're going to go and study, um, you know, you're going to be a doctor or whatever. Because uh, obviously our parents and didn't, didn't work that hard for us to go and take over the takeaway. So so most of the Chinese takeaway kind of closed down or they kind of de- deteriorated because the older generation would have traveled back to Hong Kong or they made their money and they gone back to China or Hong Kong, wherever it is. So the second generation that um, kind of left with the Chinese takeaway or the still in the food business would have changed the model to more of a street food kind of vibe around it, you know? So they'll start doing like, um, I don't know, like um, if you want to see the momofokus or, you know, um, you know, that kind of change, like, you know, into ramen noodles and they do like, um, you know, like the tacos or they do like a, you know, the Korean kind of, you know, kebab or, you know they want to change because they don't want to stay in the same old model again i think ireland is going through that at the moment um back in the 2015 when i opened up the the asian fusion kind of um concept there wasn't that many asian concepts around i think there was maybe there wasn't even a ramen shop at the time i think that only came after and I opened my restaurants, uh, bowls. I think there was a couple of traditional kind of stuff like hot pot and really kind of dirty kind of, you know, <laughs> places that you go into, you know. And I was thinking, right, there has to be some different way to doing this. Like, you know, I think there was one or two really good places, but it wasn't enough. Now the city is really, I think, five, it's 2023. So it was like um, over a space of like six years, Dublin has you know, jumped in huge amount of uh, Asian style restaurants and all that out. And I think it's because, you know, the influence, I'm not going to say that um, I influence a lot of people, but I think I kind of give um, a lot of the Chinese kind of 
community that that's still in restaurants to rethink that you know the old takeaway style doesn't have to be a dirty counter or, or really kind of less place we can do it up nicely and do up nice food and maybe we can charge a bit more for food you know what i mean because i hate the way that um chinese food has always looked as a cheap you know what i mean that uh, it's a cheap kind of version of food like you know what i mean and that if you think of uh going in and eating like a sushi or korean you can charge a lot more that's you know that's terrible like you know way of thinking like you know and i always think i always say that the people it's like okay close your eyes and think um think of a japanese kind of kitchen you know and what do you think like you know what i mean so it's always nice and silent and you know really skillful and peaceful and if you close your eyes and think about a chinese kitchen you know it's like you know, noise everywhere, everybody's shouting, you know, and, you know, walks kind of flaming everywhere. It's very noisy. So that's the kind of perception that people have in their mind anyway, you know. So it's kind of like Chinese food is cheap and um, because I wanted to change that. And now that um, I think a lot of um, shops across the city, we have a couple of bao places. We have a couple of Korean chicken places. We have a really good uh, Asian fusion of two or three kind of dumpling kind of places now, you know, serving really nice food. I think um, we are going the really right way about it, you know. So I think the evol- evolution of uh, Asian food has changed so much in Ireland. I think a lot of people traveled as well a lot and came back and that's what they kind of want, you know. So That's really cool. You see that similar process happening around like other types of food? I mean, I'll just like in this, in, in the States, like that conversation is really prevalent in terms of like, oh, why do we expect certain types of food to have to be less expensive than other types of food, you know? So yeah, I think that story is like really familiar. Yeah. It's uh, it's so funny, you know, cause you're using the same ingredients and um, it's just different style of cooking and uh, you're using different spices and, um, and we have to charge less because it's Chinese, you know, than Italian or right. <laughs> you know, exactly. But it's like, well, it's not like it takes less work. Exactly, yeah, it takes yeah. less effort to make the food. It takes the same amount, if not, you know, I'm curious when when you when you talk about the proliferation of Asian restaurants in the city and, and maybe across mm-hmm. Ireland, are some of those restaurants are it's my understanding that some of those restaurants are have white people at the helm rather than people of Asian descent in in the United States. It's pretty controversial. Yes. Um, people talk a lot about cultural appropriation, and it seems like although I have seen some. Um, critiques of that in Ireland, it seems like the environment is much less um, critical of, of, you know, white Irish people opening Asian restaurants. Can you comment on that? Is that, is that true? Is that something that you, like, do you think there's less of a stigma attached to it in Ireland? No, not at all. I think there is less of a stigma. And um, I know that, uh, yes, uh, there was a couple of places that opened and wasn't very good and um, compared to the Asian places that I know. And they got uh, great reviews, you know what I mean, from one of the top critics. And I did have something to say about that at the time. And um, and I just feel like, um, sure, what's the point, you know what I mean? It's, so it's not okay to, you know, that a, a Chinese chef is um, cooking away this uh, traditional kind of food down the other side of town. And they, because, um, you know, the service wasn't the same or, you know, because uh, the plates weren't as nice and you weren't served the proper way that uh, you're normally kind of served in the, the European kind of restaurant, you know, that doesn't mean that the food isn't good, you know. So, and the food wasn't that great either um, from that review, but uh, she gave it a rave review. So, um, look, it's, I think, um, yeah, so if an Asian kind of chef tries and do, does something uh, really good, it's like, oh, he's, he, it's not as good, you know, but... Uh, if it was kind of like a, um, a white kind of chef, um, you know, and I was chef trying to do it and, you know, I was great, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, I don't know if it's the same over on your side of the world, but uh, we did have some of that. But now it's kind of really good. I think uh, they they have really upped their game a lot, you know. So and I think, you know, if people kind of cook the, cook the right food and use the right ingredients, I suppose, you know, racism really come into it. Like, it's just that. I think for critics, they need to look across the board, you know what I mean? And look at um, what the Chinese chefs are doing over the other side and 
you know and this is this is this is the way we eat in our culture you know so right it's interesting that like a critic that doesn't necessarily have that as their background is the one who gets to comment on whether it's a quote unquote good restaurant or not when there's obviously a lot of different ways to experience good food and it sort of ties into what you were just talking about in terms of what um what you can get away with charging for the food as well because i would imagine that maybe some of those restaurants had a higher price point and it was like Absolutely. you know yeah no one's Absolutely. really saying that it's too expensive for them to do it but then when you try to do it it's like you yeah. know more pushback Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So look, uh, it's, that's the way it is, you know, and, um, you kind of get used to that over the years because, uh, that's the way it is. <laughs> and, um, you're just trying to keep, try harder, you know, but, um, I'm quite happy where I am at the moment, what we're doing. We have a good following and, you know, we, uh, do Asian and Irish kind of fusion kind of food. Um, not at the higher ends. That's not where we're at. We're at the middle kind of market and we like to feed everybody, you know, so and people like our food and that's the way I like it, you know. So there's no, um, I hate the word, um, you know, um, like food divided into categories, like, you know, what I mean, that uh, that you have to be judged in a certain way because you're cooking a lower type of food, you know, what I mean, so I'm kind of got away from that over the years, you know, so, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So, all right. So you have a restaurant, a food truck, a sauce company, and now a cookbook. And television. And what, what are we missing? And what is like, what are you going to do next? Because that's such an incredible um, array of areas to tackle. Yeah. So basically we have a food truck in there, which opens, um, you know, in seasonal over in uh, Malahide, which is uh, kind of like a marina kind of seaside town, which is great. Uh, I love that. My staff love going out there in the summer. It's a different vibe altogether. It's nice for them to get out of the kitchen as well. <laughs> They're kind of stuck in there for the rest of the year, you know. Um, Capital Dock Restaurant is a big, huge 100-seater restaurant, which we have a wine bar kind of attached to it. That's going really well, and we do a great. Uh, we also have a, a Camden Street kind of takeaway and kind of hop in and hop out because when I was in Hong Kong and, you know, there's not that many really big restaurants. It's all kind of like really fast. Kind of you hop on and you sit and eat your noodles and you're away again. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like a, you know, nice, nice kind of chandeliers hanging or whatever, you know? So, um, so that's kind of like Cameron Street was that kind of place for that. And also my thinking was uh, I need somewhere else to service a bigger um, delivery kind of coverage in that area in the right center of the town. So, um, for the deliveries and that. So that's going really well. The retail, um, we just have to go for a rebrand, uh, was Chan Chan. It's now called East. And um, we're going to focus a lot on the black garlic. And um, and then the book, hopefully, with uh, Kristen, with the uh, walk. I was, I'm so, um, I'm so honored in a way that is the first uh, Irish Asian cookbook that I'd be able to do it, you know? So I'm quite uh, humbled in that way that, uh, I got an opportunity to represent um, this side of the culture, you know, um, being the first um, Irish Chinese cookbook to be published in Ireland. And hopefully that I'll uh, have another kind of cookbook out, not maybe towards the takeaway, but maybe towards something else different, you know, that uh, on my travels to Hong Kong and uh, we kind of do cover maybe street food more, you know. So, yeah, and also the TV stuff, yeah, and um, the ambassadorships and stuff like that. So we do a lot of uh, Virgin Media 
TV, which uh, I do a cookery show called um, Six O'Clock Show. And I've been doing that for the last eight years, you know, so um, that's really good. And I don't know. So just at the moment, I'm just trying to tie all the all that together, you know, so it's yeah. quite hard. Sounds sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. But um, a lot of people say, oh, how do you do it? It's, 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 it's funny because like it's all connected together. So when you're working on one thing, it kind of connects to the other. So, you know, the retail kind of connects with the restaurant and you kind of work around. But I also have a, you know, I don't do it myself. I have a great team on board and I have about 15 people behind me, you know. So um, that's it. We're we're like a family, you know, so it's great. A lot of guys were with me for a long time. And um, yeah, so it's a nice environment to be in and um, coming into work. It's not like work at all, you know, so it's, it's great. So, yeah, I'm quite uh, happy with that, you know, so. You know, something we hear a lot about uh, um, was sort of a evolution of how restaurants are functioning after the pandemic and, you know, being increasingly difficult to uh, get staff. A lot of people don't really haven't really have decided to like leave the restaurant industry or don't really want to come back to it after having not, you know, spent a lot of time outside of working in restaurants and then also all the challenges due to increasing rents and energy prices has the fact that you have projects in food in a lot of different in non-restaurant um, areas as well as restaurants. Has that made it easier for you to uh, keep your business going and to keep staff around and to keep people happy? Yeah. So um, during the pandemic there, so we got a food trailer, but um, with the retail business as well, we've done a lot of uh, meal kits. So that kind of kept us going for a while. We've done a really good dumpling meal kit, you know. And coming back to think of it, if I didn't have that kind of retail kind of background, I probably wouldn't be able to do a meal kit as good as that. So um, so from that experience, we kind of put that into a really good dumpling meal kit that we sold about maybe, probably sold about maybe 6,000 or something like that, you know, what was based on COVID. And um, that kept us going. And... Um, that kept the staff busy as well and with the with the truck as well so so it was good in that way uh the, the retail side kind of boomed as well during covid so that kind of helped me as well to keep above water so yeah so i think the restaurant model business has changed so much over the years i don't think you can just have a restaurant anymore Unless you're a really good restaurant, you know what I mean? Like the three stars and, you know what I mean? That's, you're full every night and you're booked out every night. I think for restaurants to kind of like um, really achieve, you have to have different outlets, you know? So you have to have a book. You have to have some retail products to go along with it. You probably have to do a lot of social media, create some YouTube kind of videos or, you know, your social media has to be really good as well. I think the restaurant business is so broad now. It's more like a marketing company, you know? So you're basically a marketing company selling products, you know? So that's that's what I'm kind of aiming at in the next couple of years, you know? And um, that's what we're focusing on. I think that's the restaurant business has um, changed so much, you know? So basically you're a marketing company that sells food and retail and other bits and pieces. Staffing is a real issue. Um, I don't know how you, that's going to go, you know? And it's, it's just the way it is. Um, it's uh, maybe tech will change, you know. Tech will change um our industry in the in the long run. I don't know how, you know, but um, I'm always looking at um the fast food companies like um McDonald's and you know the Taco Bell's in America and how they're gonna improve and you know to not autonomous kind of food coming out now and all that, and like I kind of look in that side of food, you know, and how is that gonna affect the middle market and the higher end market in the end, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so it's a, it's a funny world, you know? So it's a, it's a tough world to be in at the moment because if you think of Amazon years ago selling books and they're kind of covering everything, so is that going to just kill all the restaurants in the future, you know? It's a tough kind of way of thinking how food is going to end in 10 years' time. Yeah, I mean, looking at all the, you know, there's like been a run of restaurants closing in Ireland that, have one, you know, there's single location restaurants and obviously they're not as profitable as they needed to be to keep it going. And they didn't really have anywhere else to turn in terms of like 
the sort of other business outlets like you were the way you were talking about it and seeing the restaurants as like a marketing for for other food projects so yeah yeah i think um that has a lot to do with um i think the business model has changed you know since about 10 years ago so well it seems like you have seems like you're on your path to figuring out or at least sort of on the front edge of figuring it out yeah it's quite hard you just have to see just keep updated all the time and and um just see where the business is moving to you know because it is quite tough out there at the moment there is a lot of restaurant closing and with inflation it's quite hard you know because um inflation doesn't just um affect outside but it affects our staff as well so staff are looking for more pay rises because they can't pay the rent you know so and you have to look after your staff so there's no point in your staff working two two jobs you know and they can work one job with you, you know, trying to fill that. So you have to make sure that the, they get paid very well. They live a living that, um, you know, it's a good lifestyle for them to work in that industry. And I think we we do that quite well, you know, and we treat our staff quite well in, um, in my company. So um, a lot of the guys have been with me for years, you know, so it's good. It's quite of a hard balance because obviously a restaurant needs to make profit as well. Well, I was thinking that uh, the change from COVID to now is that um, you have to work twice as hard to make a euro this, um, now than you used to, you know. So that's that's the way I think about it now, you know. So you have to have different outlets to kind of topple that up, you know what I mean? So cause there's only so many people that eat, you know, um, in certain occasions, especially when the times that people are trying to cut down as well on their expenditure. And food is the first thing they go, you know. So, and, yeah. I did want to ask a little bit about about the book a little bit more. What's the reception been like? And are you going out and doing events? And and like, what's been the experience of, of writing the book and having it come out now? So, and congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, so I, I, as I said, like I was very honored in um, being able to do the first Irish Asian cookbook, you know. So with Christian um, Jensen from um, Nine Bean Rose and Blaster Books. Uh, did you just get a copy, guys? Did you? Or, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we have it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I hope you like it. I know it's quite a simple book, but uh, it's it was designed for the home cook, and uh, it's funny because um, writing the book is it took me a while, you know, because um, it was just it's not something that uh, any chef is used to writing a book, you know. So <laughs> it's like right, okay, and especially you're not very good at um, you know grammar and stuff like that, so. Uh, Christian and um, done a great job, you know, on the book and uh, fantastic. And the reception has been really good because uh, it's been a series of books. So we're quite lucky to get involved with uh, some of the colleagues that I know in the industry that has the opportunity to do their book as well. So it was great. We all get the opportunity to do that at the one time. So, um, and Christian rang me um when I was actually during COVID and I was doing a delivery for uh, the meal kits at the time. And I got this phone call and I was like, Hey, do you want to do a book? <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And she was telling me about the kickstart and, you know, I'm going to get people to fund it. And it's a different way of cooking, you know, because I've been trying to get a book out for years and nobody take me on because uh, obviously you don't fit the bracket to be, the for the big publishers to take you on because you don't have enough following or you're not cooking the right food or you know the recipes are you know not for the home and you're not it's i know i understand that there's a risk for them um for making a loss like obviously the book companies need to make money as well so they always go for the sure thing you know but what Kristen did was uh give the give the smaller guys an opportunity to have a voice and I think that's brilliant, you know, because um, I think that's what Ireland needs at the moment. Um, and also what that creates is variety and, you know, opportunity in the market for, um, I suppose, um, people like myself, you know, um, that probably doesn't fit the bracket or that uh, people probably wouldn't be looking at to, for a cookbook, you know, home. So, um, no, it's a great opportunity to do that kind of food and also what i want um when we thought about it first it was like i had a really kind of complicated kind of book out. i had like a lovely steamed fish i wanted to do like a really kind of traditional asian kind of stuff for being a chef you know i want to put my best foot forward you know and i was like 
no, I think the recipes are too hard. I think nobody's going to make them, you know? And uh, I says, okay, right, what are we going to do? You know, And then I thought about it for ages and ages. And I said, look, why don't I just go back to my roots? Um, everybody loves Chinese takeaway food. Why don't we do a really good Chinese takeaway food recipes from my childhood and, you know, from my experience, like I said, and then we go from there. So your first book, you know, if you get a following in the first book, you might get a, a really good following, somebody, the opportunity, or even a chance that somebody might buy your second book, you know, because of your first book. So that's what I was thinking that uh, let's go back to the classics because everybody loves the classics, um, especially in Ireland. I think a lot of people grew up with the Chinese takeaway. And when they, when my friends go to Australia and they come back, they always want to have a, a Chinese takeaway because that's what they're used to, you know, it's more like a, a memory for them, you know? So, so that's what we did. And um, the book has done really well. We won the um, um, best cookbook of the year, I think it was, um, as a collective. And congratulations. Yeah. And also won the um, cookbook awards, is it? I think it was, uh, we won the best um, Irish Asian cookbook, uh, the World Cookbook Awards, is it? Or something like that. So, yeah. World, World Food, uh, Gourmet Food Book Awards. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, yeah. So, that's good. So, we're delighted with that. Yeah, we've loved to see your book and every book in the series. I think it's such a cool way to introduce people to um, food that, I mean, the whole point of buying a cookbook is you want to learn how to cook something that you don't know how to cook already. But, you know, sometimes a big, heavy, glossy, photographed book can be really intimidating. And I love how these are really approachable ways to get into a new thing for people. And I think that's just, you know, a lot of times... The publisher will be like, all right, this we got to, you know, we got to make it worth it. So we got to make, you know, there has to be like a hundred recipes in here and tons of photography, but then it sets it as like something that not everybody can afford to buy and, and then not something that people choose to use on a regular basis. So I love that. They're just kind of more, I don't know. Approachable. Uh, yeah. Very yeah, approachable. It's, yeah. It's very approachable. And, um, you know, the artwork is brilliant. It's uh it's more like a what I think when I pick up the books now and look at it, it's like it's like getting a lot of creative people together and let's do a book, you know what I mean? From writing to you know the recipes from the drawings and from the design of the book, like you know what I mean? It's such a it's such a you know a mixing pot of uh you know artistic kind of you know collaborations all coming to one, you know. And I think it's a class, you know what I mean? So it's really, really good. Yeah. We had Kristen on the podcast uh, kind of early on. We also had Lily on and Jess, I guess. We're obviously big fans of Blasta, but Kristen's approach to that series kind of mirrors the way that we see Irish food also. Because, you know, people in the States, when they think about Irish food, they think about like potatoes and and Guinness. And we think, you know, that some of the most exciting people working in food in Ireland are immigrants and are people that are cooking their home cuisines using like the best Irish produce. And it, it makes for just these really exciting experiences that people definitely don't expect if they've never been to Ireland before. Or if they go to Ireland, which a lot of Americans do and they only eat in pubs. Now, there's some really good food in Ireland at the moment. And um, it's very interesting that, um, you know, what's happening in Ireland with all the food and the immigrants, as you're saying, opening up restaurants and opening food to businesses and bringing their culture. Like when I go out, I don't go out. Like I, I love fancy food. That's my background, you know. I love the Mission Stars and stuff like that. But there's nothing stopping me than going down a little side street, like and you know, hunting the little families that are cooking their own food. You know what I mean? That um, that has been passed down. Recipes has been passed down for a couple of generations, and this is what they cook. You know what I mean? Like, I love that, you know what I mean? I love finding stuff like that and going and trying little small family businesses and tasting that kind of flavors, you know? Because that's, that's soul, you know? That's, that's, that's where food is, you know what I mean? So it's not like um, recipes has been passed down from, um, you know, an encyclopedia for years and, you know, you make the same jus and you make the same um, butter sauce, you know what I mean? It's going around tasting stuff that's different. It's like when you're traveling, you know? And then um, you have to, perception of the flavor that um you want to oh that's really nice i can incorporate that into something you know or can i make that into 
you know, put that with um, a different ingredient or, you know what I mean? You know, how can I adapt that flavor and add it into like an Asian spice or something like that, you know? I love that, you know? So, yeah. Well, before we go, is there anywhere in particular you want to share where you've had like a good, maybe good and surprising food experience that you can let people know about? Shout out some to some of those smaller, maybe more family owned places. Is there anywhere that comes to mind? Yeah, I love uh, Parnell Street in Dublin. I think um, there's some really good kind of places down there. Um, there's kind of like a good hot pot place. I think there could be a better hot pot place in um, in Dublin. They're all using quite cheap ingredients, but I love to see a really higher end kind of hot pot places like um, Hong Kong has. Um, obviously, like they need to, they need to, they need the customer base to pay for it. I think there's a market there for it. There's lovely roast duck places opening up now. Um, duck in Jury Street. I think uh, Lao. Um, there's a place called Charming Noodles that's doing lovely pull noodles as well by hand. That's really good as well. I pop in there now and again. You know, Big Fan Bao, I think is really good as well. Um, they do nice kind of fusion food. And I think they're going the right way. Copying, um, it's kind of like um, bringing that kind of Hong Kong kind of concept in, you know of fusion obviously my own restaurant bites as well bites you know the guys down there are doing oh, quite there good. we do a lot go. of rice bowls and we do a lot of street food kind of adapt adaptation from irish to you know uh hong kong kind of influence i love tacos tacos is great uh, there's a really good food tack uh alimengro and um i love tacos uh, they do kind of really traditional kind of tacos are really nice as well there is a lot of uh, places up and running and um, I think uh, I'm so looking forward to the next five years and see what comes in, you know, so. Mm -hmm. That's great. Oh, we love to hear it. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for chatting with us today. What a great conversation. And congratulations on the, the baby. Dyed Green is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at dyedgreen.com at heritageradionetwork.org.